Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, July the 17th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. This is a slightly unusual one. This week saw the first Irish Times Summer Nights online festival of culture, conversation and ideas. We had all sorts of guests along, including authors Anne Enright and Marion Keyes, TV architect Dermot Bannon, former American ambassador to the UN Samantha Power, and Irish rugby legend Paul O'Connell. And we also had the first ever fully audiovisual version of Inside Politics, and as it turned out, there was plenty to talk about with the team this week, so I do hope you enjoy it. Just to note that the sound may not quite meet our usual standards, but I don't think it takes away too much from proceedings. Now, when we were putting together all this summer night stuff earlier in the summer, it was kind of particularly difficult to know what might be the agenda of any political discussion that we'd be doing in mid-July, because we didn't know if there was going to be a government at all, or we didn't know if we'd be in the midst of some kind of full-blown crisis, and As it turns out, we do have a government and we also have, if not a crisis, well, a bit of stormy weather before that government is really even properly up and running. So with me to discuss all this and more, I'm delighted to introduce the Irish Times' political editor, Pat Leahy, our political correspondent, Harry McGee, and our political reporter, Jennifer Bray. You're all very welcome. Pat, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, Everything seems to be going very well so far. Yes, it's... uh... It's been a placid start uh, for the new government, uh, I don't think. Um, of course, it depends on which part of the new government you're uh, you're talking about. The Green Party is reasonably happy that it is bedding down uh, into its departments. Uh, similarly with Fine Gael, which is getting used to the unwanted situation of uh, not holding the Taoiseach's office and not having all the responsibilities of uh, government coming at the doors of its ministers. But it's a different story for Fianna Fáil and uh, listeners are, maybe their viewers, um, probably don't need to have uh, the mishaps of the last couple of weeks rehashed for them. Uh, But they have been very considerable. It's been a very shaky start for Fianna Fáil, not so much in the business of government, But in the business of managing government personnel and managing its own, uh, managing the party itself. And that culminated, I suppose, last night in the sacking of Agriculture Minister Barry Cowan. He's not the first, of course, and he won't be the last minister to be sacked uh, as a member of, uh, of a government. But it is very unusual to have somebody sacked so quickly and in circumstances where only last week his leader was still defending him and the general consensus was that this crisis for Mr Cowan had passed. That turned out to be not the case. And while I think that the government will get through this start, this shaky start, not least because it is now in all three constituent parts of the government's interests to make it work and to get over this. Uh, but it has been um, very shaky and uncertain and nervous time for Fianna Fáil, there's no doubt about that. Harry, you've been covering this very closely over the last 36 hours or so. Can you shed any light on the sequence of events as they as they panned out yesterday, which turned from Michal Martin essentially uh, defending Barry Cowan uh, in the early afternoon? Uh, in the doll to um, announcing that he'd sacked him about six or seven hours later. Yeah, it seemed, uh, Hugh, like a complete volte-face uh, between 2pm yesterday and 9pm last night. Essentially, the uh, the genesis of the latest twist was the article in the Sunday Times on Sunday 
which said beside his drinking ban, uh, it made the assertion that Mr. Khan had tried to evade a Gorda checkpoint uh, in 2016 at the time he received uh, the ban for being over uh, the limit. Uh, that was very strongly um, refuted by Mr. Khan on Sunday and uh, an investigation by the Gorda Ombudsman uh, was launched. But the, the charge is a very serious one, a TD, a public representative. The, the uh, very uh, notion that they would try to uh, avoid a, a checkpoint set up by the Gorda Shukon is a very, very serious allegation. Uh, it's an offence uh, under the Road Traffic Act 1961 uh, and possibly more serious than the, the, um, than the uh, offence for which he was uh, fined. So that became a very serious uh, matter and it all hinged on uh, the uh, Gorda record, the Pulse record, uh, which had been leaked, obviously, to reporters and which had been published. And uh, Mr Cowan himself uh, obtained a copy of that last week and then on Tuesday morning, uh, yesterday morning, he shared that with Mr. Uh, Martin, and uh, Mr. Martin seemed to be um, slightly uh, uh, put at ease by, by by some of the language. The language was slightly ambivalent in terms of whether or not he uh, tried to evade the checkpoint. There was no specific reference, for example, to him trying to effect a U-turn, and uh, some of the other language, Peter uh, Paul sources privately said, might be interpreted in several different ways. But still, the document was there, and Michal Martin said in the doll, uh, it was out. It was unfortunate uh, about how it was published, but it was there and had to be uh, dealt with. And he, he thought and he firmly believed that Mr. Khan did have uh, several questions uh, that really needed to be clarified. And this was the point of departure between both of them, Hugh. Uh, Mr. Khan at that stage was uh, adopting a, a legalistic approach. He said it was now the subject of a Gorda Ombudsman inquiry and he wasn't going to comment any further. Um, Mr. Martin was looking at it through the prism of the political realm and his assertion um, was that Mr. Cowan needed and was obliged as a Minister of State, as a Minister, as an office holder, as an officer of the state, uh, to make a public statement in the Dáil. And that's where the conflict arose yesterday. They had a meeting yesterday morning uh, Mr. Martin said to him that he would need to make a statement. Uh, Mr. Cowan said he wouldn't. Uh, Mr. Martin asked him to consider uh, the matter and consider his position. At about 11.30, uh, Mr. Martin met the leaders of the other two parties in coalition, Leo Varadkar and Eamon Ryan, and informed them of the position and let them know, let them know about his thinking at that particular moment. Uh, both of them uh, agreed with his interpretation and said they would support whatever action uh, that he would take. Neither of them uh, pushed or pressurised uh, or, or demanded uh, the uh, infamous head uh, on a plate. I think this was a decision that was generated and that happened almost entirely within Fianna Fáil, uh, without outside pressure. Then, Mr. Uh, Martin, uh, so, some of the other parties thought that the sacking might occur at 2 p.m., but Mr. Martin went into the doyle then uh, for leaders' questions, and he kind of partially backed uh, Mr. Cowan. I think some people interpreted that as him trying to give him a final opportunity as it were, uh, to, uh, to amend his hands and to make a public statement in the doyle. But he had a conversation with Mr. Khan subsequently, and he maintained uh, his refusal uh, to make any further statement. And it was at that stage uh, that Mr. Uh, Martin uh, took the decision uh, that uh, he would have to resign. Uh, Mr. Khan said he wasn't going to resign, and he was subsequently sacked. Um, Jen, Harry lays out in great detail there exactly what happened over the course of the day, but I'm trying to get at what was really going on under the surface there. What was Michal Martin's thought process? I heard Leo Varadkar early yesterday morning on the radio essentially saying this matter is now going to have to be dealt with, they're going to have to deal with this question of the leaked report, and we can't really do anything for that. A very standard political response in these kind of situations. We're familiar with it previously. Put things on the long finger a little bit until that process has gone through. So Michael Martin sees this report, and then he decides that Barry Khan needs to go back into the doll and, and account for it. And then, there is, first of all, there is a failure of, I suppose, command structures in the uh, in the Fianna Fáil party because he refuses to do so. And then Michael Martin acts extremely, extremely quickly. What does that tell us about what's going on at the top of Fianna Fáil right now? 
Well, I, th I think the first thing to say is that it must be some kind of record to have a newly appointed minister who had only been in the job 17 days, I think, uh, go overboard. And it was also uh, an unprecedented record when the new government had its first day in the doll and we had our first ever personal explanation from a minister. So from the very from the very first day, the government was in very tricky territory with this. And last week, when Barry Cowan made his statement to the doll explaining what had happened, as, as Harry outlined, there was a sense that if he outlined everything that there was to know, and if there was nothing else going to come out after this, they probably muddled through and they probably get through this. There was a sense, like I say, that if this got to the weekend or around this time or around now and anything else came out, even if it was as strongly refuted as it clearly is by, by Barry Cowan, that we would be into a completely different territory. And I think that's what happened this week. I think Barry Cowan obviously got access to his Pulse record. He provided that to, to Micheál Martin. Micheál Martin looked at it and he read it. He clearly came to the view that this warranted a further dull explanation and in particular probably questions from the opposition parties and you know he said in dull that it would seem and it would appear that, that Barry Khan wasn't willing to do that so you know when you have a minister who isn't willing to explain aspects that maybe are outstanding he says he wants to go down the legal route which is absolutely his right but as Michal Martin pointed out there is a political route the simmering it sucks all the air out of the government. So I think there were two things going on. Number one, Michal Martin has said um, from the very early stage, and we are still in early stages, that he hasn't wasted an hour, hasn't wasted a minute. And he's placed all of his focus on policy, on COVID, on the business of doing government, basically. And this controversy has totally taken the shine off that. And, you know, it's it's kind of put Fianna Fáil in a position whereby people are looking at Fianna Fáil saying, well, this is this the Fianna Fáil of the past. What has even changed? This is Michal Martin who has tried to transform the party, you know, over the last ten of the last decade. So I think he had that, and then he had the second secondary aspect that he wasn't willing to go into the doll. He wasn't willing to go down the political route, and the reason clearly was that there was enough road in this that basically we've gone, they've gone far enough, and it was time to put a stop to the controversy, and it was time to be able to give the government a chance to focus on the things that they need to focus on. I think they were the two overarching decisions that resulted in. Michael Martin taking an extraordinary decision. Well, Pat, this is not the Fianna Fáil of the past because, I mean, it's great to have you on here because, I mean, you are you wrote the book, literally, about Fianna Fáil in power, uh, Showtime. So you talked about them as a party. We wrote about them as a party of power and how they exerted power in the past when they were in their in their pomp, I suppose, in the, in the Bertie Ahern years. Um, I have to imagine that the two other government parties currently are sort of, you know, privately eye-rolling uh, amongst themselves of what's been going on since since this government was formed, the various contretemps over the uh, which ministers were in and which ministers were out, and uh, the kind of rebellious notes coming from various various disaffected Fianna Fáil TDs, uh, and now this, just a general sense of an ill-disciplined group. You're right that there's uh, a lot of eye rolling going on in the other two government parties, not just. I suppose, about uh, this most recent episode, but of the behaviour of Manny Fianna Fáil TDs over, uh, over recent weeks. But eye-rolling or throwing your eyes up to heaven is, is, I suppose, better for a government's cohesion than complaining or murmuring or, or, uh, or talking among themselves about how the government is being undermined. And as of yet, I don't pick that up from the uh, from the opposition parties, and that's why I think that the coalition is likely to get over uh, to get over this hump, to get over this controversy. There isn't any serious tension between the parties that I can discern uh, from uh, the uh, the sacking of Mr. Cowan or the uh, the events that led to it. On your wider point about the behaviour of Fianna Fáil since they have. Uh, re-entered office for the first time let's not forget in nearly a decade and this was a party was in government for most of the time for most of the time uh, from uh, in the entire history of uh, of the independent state Fall was in government 
for most of that period. And it has gone from a party that above everything else, and no matter how great its internal splits and how great its internal civil wars, and some of them, as people will know, were pretty spectacular, it maintained a self-discipline about the acquisition, the maintenance, and the application of power. That's what... um, uh, you know, that's what unified Fianna Fáil above all else. You were kind of mentioned a book that I wrote. My predecessor, Stephen Collins, wrote a book about Fianna Fáil called The Power Game. And, uh, you know, I think he caught in that title the essence of uh, of the party. And sometimes that power was used for good. Uh, sometimes it, used, it was used for ill. And in a number of celebrated instances, it was used for uh, for for private gain, but it was always serious about power. And I think what we've seen over recent weeks is the is the effects of so long in opposition for Fianna Fáil that that sort of ruthless self discipline that it imposed on itself and observed in the past. I think some of that, at least some of that, has left the party. And we now have a situation where Micheál Martin has a number of, you know, very significant enemies in the party, some of them on the back benches, some of them in cabinet, people that are very seriously disaffected with what they see as their unfair treatment in recent weeks and some of them before that. And uh, I, I think that that will be a political dynamic over the course of this government, particularly as we reach the end of the first phase of this government and the changeover approaches uh, between Michal Martin and Leo Bradker as, uh, as Taoiseach. I think that that internal dynamic in Fianna Fáil will now be a feature of, uh, of our politics, even if it isn't visible all the time. It did always seem to me, Harry, that the, the rotation of Taoiseach, the, the changing of the, of the guard, which is scheduled to take place uh, in two and a half years' time in December 2022, I think, um, that that was always a potential poison pill in the lifetime of this particular government as it pertained specifically to Fianna Fáil, because Neil Martin took the party through thick and thin over 10 years or so. He steps down then. Is it, am I correct in saying that the general understanding is that he won't lead the party into the next election and that therefore really there's a starting gun starting pretty soon on who's going to be the next leader of Fianna Fáil with all the potential inner turbulence which that might cause? I think you're correct about the poison pill, uh, Hugh. The, the poison pill is is uh, solely uh, on prescription to Fianna Fáil and not to the other two members of the coalition. And the accepted narrative at this stage, and maybe we're all parroting it, but I think it's still just because we're parroting it doesn't mean it's not true, is that Fianna Fáil has possibly most to lose uh, from this coalition. Uh, the Greens um, do have a lot to lose if they don't uh, reach the high bar they've set for themselves. Uh, it's recognised that Fine Gael can actually perform well and come out of this government um, quite intact because it set its own kind of expectations low and it's going to have no difficulties in surpassing those. It was a beaten docket after the general election and now it's found itself uh, in a, a miraculous kind of Lazarus mode, uh, almost leading the government by, by proxy, even though we have a Fianna Fáil Taoiseach. And the big difficulty for Fianna Fáil is, is what does Fianna Fáil stand for anymore? When you say, what, what have they got into the program for government? What are they doing in government? And the only things that they can really point to is this new uh, kind of uh, senior department of higher education, which is being occupied by a Fine Gael minister. And some people say, is it really necessary? and also some uh, wins in relation to housing that are kind of hard to explain to the general public. We're not all that interested uh, really in the uh, minutiae of, of what's been achieved by, by Peter Paul. So you, you, you have a party that is in difficulty, that had, as Pat and Jenna pointed out, a very, very poor uh, election and is trying to, to reform, to recover, to revive while in uh, government and while in government during a very difficult period. Uh, you have a leader who's been there, as you pointed out, for a decade, uh, who's going to have to cede the uh, role of Taoiseach. 
uh, in two and a half years' time. And uh, there's a big question mark as to what happens then. I mean, is he going to try to retain the leadership? Uh, um, and as Pat was talking about the growing number of enemies and the growing level of disaffection within the party, I was looking at this particular question today myself and talking to Fianna Fáil TDs, and I'd say at least a third of its uh, corpus of 37 uh, TDs uh, would now be sceptical of Mr Martin's leadership or would be openly uh, opposed to it. And it was very interesting that Barry Khan texted to supporters of Fianna Fáil and Offaly today saying the party was bigger than him, but then he said the party is much bigger uh, than, uh, than Michal Martin. So it's a sign that he himself is now growing, uh, is now joining the ranks of the uh, disaffected, and that's a growing group uh, within the party. So uh, the, um, uh, the party is going to have to really outperform over the next two and a half years in particular if it's going to retain any of its uh, electoral purchase or, or, or traction. And that's going to be very difficult for it. And at this moment in time, it's very hard to see how the party is going to do that uh, because I think Fine Gael is much more comfortable in his skin about where it is in Irish politics. I think we know where the Greens are. They have a different kind of challenge. But we, we don't really know what Fianna Fáil is or what Fianna Fáil stands for anymore. And that's a big difficulty for the party. And as Pat was pointing out, and as he, uh, as he delineated so well in his book and as Stephen Collins did in, in his book, Fianna Fáil once stood for being the party of government. And that's no longer the case. So it's, it's a little bit like, um, uh, you know, um, what was that play, Hugh? As the art said, you know, uh, six characters in search of an author, is it? Search of an author, yeah. Yes, I think that's really what, what Fianna Fáil, that's the, the, uh, the, the impasse it finds itself at at this particular moment in time. Jen, do you think there's any way Michael Martin can retain the leadership of Fianna Fáil and lead it into the next election after he steps down in December 2022? No, I don't. I think the writing's on the wall very clearly. I think it would be astounding if he did. Um, like it would be more fascinating. It would be more newsworthy now to find a Fianna Fáil TD who's not upset and who's not disaffected. I mean, you, you, like Harry said, if you ring around members of the party and talk to them privately, everybody seems to be nursing their own little grudges or, you know, their own problems or their own issues that they've had, their own disaffection with the party, disassociation with the party. And that's really, really serious. And it's been going on for for quite some time. This isn't something new that happened when there was the controversy over the, the ministerial appointments and then following that, the junior ministerial appointments. This is something which is actually becoming embedded in the party and that's a dissatisfaction with the leader and a dissatisfaction with the structures of the party. And like Harry said, what is the what does Fianna Fáil stand for? What is the point of Fianna Fáil? And I think, you know, even at this really, really early stage, you would have had maybe two weeks ago when Michal Martin was elected as Taoiseach, kind of a celebration and and a sense of pride uh, that their party leader had, had taken that office. And that wasn't really there, to be honest with you. It was sort of just a, a grudging acceptance of it. And, and maybe that was because of the fact that so many people felt hard done by. But many of them said that over the last few years, they were led to believe that they would have been given positions. They felt that they had had him whisper in their ear, not necessarily saying you will become the minister for agriculture or you will become the minister for this, that or the other, saying, you know, you will be in line for something. Now, whether he did or didn't say it, many of them have been left with that impression. So, you know, and, and a couple of that as well with the fact that at the very, very early stage, we had Jim O'Callaghan coming out and saying that he wanted to speak for the identity of the party. And that feeds into what Harry is saying, about the identity of what, what Fianna Fáil is. So when you have someone who's setting them as that figure so early on and who is increasingly being regarded as a credible leadership candidate. It, it's very hard to see how Michal Marinko would stand uh, a leadership challenge, notwithstanding all that. And there will be many more controversies over the over the course of the Fall government uh, over the next two years. And, and you made the point earlier on about given that he has a time-limited period in, in, in the office of the Taoiseach, the question is, does that make him more effective? Or does that actually, like you say, is, is that a poison pill? So you could look at it a few ways. One way is that he could say, I have this amount of time. I know what I want to get done, whatever that may be. And to hell with everybody else. This is what I'm going to do. So it could make him more steely minded. On the other hand, it could make other people in the party think he'll only be there for this amount of time. Bide your time. Just wait. He'll be gone soon. And then we can move on to an next chapter. And that's been known to happen before in, in departments in the past where ministers have said that they wouldn't be standing in the next general election or will be leaving in a year or two. Officials and senior civil servants in the department have been known even in the in the last Labour government when, when Rory Quinn was serving to kind of say, well, 
you know, he'll be gone soon. He wants to bring in all these reforms, but let him on. So that could be that could be what happens. Yeah. Uh, I, can I, I, don't can I, I go ahead? Yeah. Sorry, just to enter a note of of. of caution um, at this point we're, we're declaring things to be inevitable in two and a half years when really nobody knows what politics is going to look like in two and a half days or two and a half weeks not to mind and a half years i agree with both harry and jen that it seems inconceivable you know that uh, that michael martin could uh, remain as leader after he steps down as Taoiseach or lead his party into the following election and contemplate another period as Taoiseach. But we have to bear in mind how quickly things have changed in politics in the relatively recent past. And Harry himself referenced Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael looking dead and buried after the election which took place a few months ago in February and now are riding high in uh, in the polls and have been almost, you know, lumbered with this uh, this government, Fianna Fáil. So I think, you know, given the huge uncertainty medically, economically, uh, over the coming period of time, I think we would be wise to acknowledge some degree of uh, of caution but our long-range predictions because in the age of the internet i think uh, our long-range predictions might end up being uh, being thrown back in this no I, I i absolutely take that point and i think now more than ever before perhaps it's really difficult to know to look you know even six months ahead much less two two years ahead is is, is fraught with problems but i do want to ask you before we move away from from beyond martin and fianna Fáil and onto the government more broadly but um, what happened to the politician who was characterised as a ditherer, who always wanted to have a further review before he made a decision, who liked nothing better than to kick something off to a committee for six months and then see what happened with it? And now we have this kind of political version of Liam Neeson and Taken, you know, who will just, you know, stride out there and, you know, t- t- take care of whoever is in his way, you know, he's not afraid to unsheath the blade and stab a knife in. What has happened? Is it because he reckons he's got two and a half years and he's just got to have to move fast to achieve whatever it is it's in his mind to achieve? Uh, you know, I think that the, the caricatures are somewhat uh, are somewhat overdone. It is true that particularly when he was health minister, that Michal Martin developed a, a, a fondness for the for commissioning reports before he uh, before he took action, though I, I, I spent a couple of hours of my life that I'll never get back again uh, one evening going through uh, with somebody a number of those reports and some of the, the 150 of them that Fine Gael gleefully counted uh, subsequently. But a number of those reports did lead to actual substantial change in the way the health service was Organised one, of course, led to the the, the HSE, which no government, um, despite one of them thinking about it, subsequently has uh, has seen fit to disperse. So I think you know the dithering thing was was perhaps what it was an element of truth. So it was perhaps uh, was perhaps overdone. And well, similarly, cautious, maybe. just cautious, cautious with it was yeah, I think so. But I, I don't think he has abandoned his caution at all, and I think you will see that when faced with decisions and his government are faced with decisions on the reopening of, uh, of, of, uh, of Ireland and the setting aside of some of the restrictions. I think you're seeing, you know, very significant, uh, more caution, I think, than displayed by the previous Taoiseach um, on many of the reopening measures. The caricature of him now as, you know, someone who's like, as you say, like Liam Neeson or someone who's happy to sharpen the blade and plunge it. I think that's probably overdone as well. I think he was faced um, he was faced a couple of weeks ago with a choice amongst his ministers when, as with any Taoiseach, he had too many mouths to feed. He, uh, he prioritised uh, prioritized putting ministers into those, the crucial 
delivery ministries, the crucial public service ministries, and we'll probably come to talk talk about this in uh, in a few minutes, where he think where he thinks his government will live or die, and I think he's probably right about that. So he made uh, you know he made unavoidable decisions to uh, you know to to for some people and disappoint others. Uh, at that point in the Barry Town controversy, I think once he had seen the uh, he'd seen the pulse record and had digested that now none of us have uh, have have seen it but i think the only construction one can put on his actions uh, about that uh, about that report was that there were details in it which Barry had not previously revealed and which he needed to go into the doll to clarify and once he couldn't do that I think um I think as 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 Jen says in a slightly different context that the uh, the writing was on the wall the thing about the writing uh, the writing on the wall though if uh, if I remember my uh, if I remember my scripture is that when the writing appeared on the wall that it wasn't immediately clear what the words meant. The words, if my memory uh, serves me correctly, were mene mene tekel upharsen. And it took the prophet, I think, Jeremiah, maybe not Jeremiah, someone's got Daniel maybe, uh, to, uh, to interpret those words uh, for, uh, for the king and interpret their meaning. Uh, for the king. So just because the writing is on the wall, I suppose, is my rather long-winded way of coming around to this point. It's not always clear what the writing says. So who's Daniel? Is that you, Pat? I think it would have to be, do you not think? <laughs> Let's move on from Fianna Fáil a little bit, Harry, if I may. Just to say, just to remind people as well, hashtag IT Summer, if they want to put some questions in. There's a few questions coming in already. Uh, one of the rather bizarre elements at the moment is that this brand new coalition We've spent the last 25 minutes or so talking about the general kind of messiness in Fianna Fáil, but there's an actual leadership in election in another part of the coalition, and you've been following that. I think you were at a hosting yesterday. Well, yeah, I, I followed it uh, virtu- virtually, yeah. So you shall smite uh, Fianna Fáil and uh, the Green Party. Some of the Green Party membership are trying to smite um, Eamon Ryan. So I thought, I mean, I, I, I was waiting holidays the last two weeks, and I thought that the... Um, the leadership contest would more or less follow the pattern of the vote on a coalition where the party substantially backed coalition by two by three quarters essentially of the party backing a coalition. But all indications are that the leadership contest will be much closer uh, than that, and that it could be 60-40 or even less than 60-40. Uh, so Catherine Martin has certainly burnished her credentials in the past uh, couple of months, and she has emerged as as the leader in waiting, essentially, in the Green Party, and maybe 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 the the leader uh, at the at July twenty third. I don't think I don't quite think so. But even if she loses, she kind of wins because uh, she has really put herself in a very strong position in, in the party. She was the person who um, who stood strong in relation to negotiations and probably helped uh, the Greens get a uh, better. So I looked at the hustings last night, and it's um, it's a, a debate between uh, experience and uh, and new impetus. And it was interesting that that Catherine Martin attacked the notion that experience bests everything. She was saying that experience is an important uh, uh, attribute, uh, but it's not the prerequisite for being a, a good leader. And she was essentially saying that that anyone uh, with long experience. Uh, sometimes is very reluctant to change or to be a risk taker or to take chances. And she argued that the Green Party needs uh, to take uh, chances. And by contrast, uh, Eamon Ryan last night, again, uh, focused almost wholly on his experience through a range of issues from climate change to energy, uh, to transport, to biodiversity, to sustainability. Uh, And that was interesting to see. She seemed to focus more on the kind of the social uh, equality element in terms of her contribution. She didn't uh, neglect climate change, no Green ever does, uh, but he, he would be kind of uh, the candidate of the kind of more traditional environmentalist uh, that we associate with the Green Party in the past. But, so, but Harry, Harry, that sounds like pretty tame stuff. You know, it doesn't sound like the gloves came off or there was really serious ideological divide expressed between the two of them in any way, and that, nor would you necessarily expect something there, of course, you know, to, together in the cabinet, she's been his deputy 
for the last um, for for the last several years. But I mean, there is, you know, there was quite a lot of tension in the in in the vote on government. You know, everything from Lorna Bogue, the councillor in Cork, being suspended at one point, I think, to um, uh, we gather that some members have said um, that they're going to leave the party um, after after this process. And then there's quite relatively senior members like a finance spokesperson, NASA Hurricane seems disaffected with the way things are going at the moment. So there are real tensions in there, but maybe are they are they not playing out in this leadership contest overtly at least? Yeah, um, they're not singing "Come by Ah" around the fireplace anymore. <laughs> they, um, they, they, they're beginning to show the attributes of all the other parties, you know, where um, they take out the knife and they kind of promptly stab each other in the back. But it's not quite like that. I mean, they, they, they've tried to conduct the leadership contest contest in a very collegiate manner, and the, the debate that I saw last night was very good mannered. Uh, they're both in the same room, and they, they both uh, give each other the utmost uh, of. Uh, respect and um, uh, they they do seem to be still very close uh, colleagues, even though both of them are, want to leave the party, uh, and both of them are pretty, uh, you know, are, are are more than pretty. They're they're very direct in terms of seeing themselves as the best person uh, to lead the party. Uh, it was interesting last night that they did try to address the issue of uh, all the tension and all the disputes that has arisen over the past few months in in the party, and there have been allegations of bullying. And both admitted that it has happened, and they said that maybe the fact that COVID-19 restrictions were there, and that most of the debate took place in the hothouse of uh, social media, uh, that sometimes tone was absent and uh, tempers uh, boiled over, and people said things uh, that were not appropriate and that were over the top and that were uh, wrong, and uh, both of them uh, vowed that the party would try to deal with it. Uh, in as much as it possibly could. Eamon Ryan admitted uh, that the party apparatus was geared towards an organisation that had just one or two TDs, not 12 TDs. And he said that since uh, the uh, debate about going into government had started, the party had been, uh, to use his word, swamped uh, by uh, uh, complaints and by uh, um, allegations, and it was clearly unable to handle them at present. So he said that the party would have to change uh, its organisations, ramp up its organisation in order to deal with that. And it has become a real problem for the Green Party. I should say a viewer sent in a message asking, can Pat Lee's scripture lessons become a regular feature of the podcast from now on? What do you say, Pat? Are you up for that? I say uh, only on an occasional basis. I feel my, uh, my scripture knowledge might be exhausted fairly quickly if we were to add it in every week. I'm sure we can find there are there are many staff members of the Irish Times that are very good on scripture, so I'm sure we can broaden you know broaden our net to some extent for for, for those particular. I have skills. other areas of arcane knowledge that I'm, uh, I'm happy to share. Them. Good, Jen. We should turn to Fine Gael. as you said, <laughs> as we said, they had a terrible election, but they have, they look rather smug and pleased with themselves at the moment. They have Radker. It's kind of fascinating the way he's to see the way he's seamlessly moved from uh, from Taoiseach to tarnished albeit with the aid of still having an aide-de-camp, which is presumably quite nice. Um, he seems quite comfortable. He's going to have his big fireworks display on his big jobs announcement and the economic economic boost next week. They kind of seem a bit smug. Yeah, I suppose you could, you could look at it like that. I kind of think he seems a little bit nonplus. He seems a bit kind of, a bit, what, what to make of all of this, you know. Um, I think the Gale are in a really, really interesting position, actually. The general election, which feels like it was many, many moons ago, you know, saw the party return, return 35 TDs, which was 15 fewer than 2016. And, and they suffered some heavy losses. They they lost ministers. They lost Regina Doherty. They lost Mary Mitchell O'Connor. They lost Sean Kine. They lost uh, Kate O'Connell, Catherine Byrne. And it really wasn't a great day for them at all. And, and in the immediate aftermath of the election, Leo Varker did say, that Fine Gael had been defeated in that election. And he said that there was no point trying to, to dress it up in any way. That's what it was. And he indicated that if it was what the party wanted, they were going to go to to, uh, to the opposition benches and he was going to be the, the leader of the opposition. So, you know, and, and I think as soon as the, the general election result came in, and even before that, our exit poll uh, came in and we saw that things were kind of being split three ways. The first question that everybody asked, and the most painfully obvious question was, how are you going to make a government out of that you know, especially given the fact that both, all three parties during the election had made promises that they wouldn't go in with each other, whether it be Fianna Fáil and, and Sinn Féin or uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Fáil. Like, I specifically remember being at a press conference and 
asking, I think it was Jim O'Callaghan and Dara O'Brien, is there any, or are there any circumstances at all under which you will go into government with Fine Gael uh, in a coalition if the numbers aren't there after the election? Of course, they said absolutely not. No, no circumstances whatsoever. Now, of course, they're major an election and then they're later broken and that's the way of politics. But it was just interesting to see these three parties. Someone had to break a promise in order to form a government. So it quickly became about that. But as we know, you know, around 10 days into the kind of aftermath of the election, um, we, we heard Fine Gael talking about how they might go into government as a last resort. The impression I got from that at the time was basically that they're putting it up to Sinn Féin saying, you've made these promises to the people. You want to go and create a Republican programme for government. Go and do that. And we're going to the opposition benches. But if you can't sort it out, we will come in at the last minute and we will be the saviour of the country. We will form a government. And um, that was the way it was sort of playing out. Of course, as we know, I think it was on the 29th of February or, or towards the end of February, we had our first case of COVID and it, the whole world was turned on its head. Everything was turned upside down, including politics, uh, especially politics as well. So, you know, everything changed after that point. The government formation talks process became longer, more drawn out. And the, the most pressing issue, the most important thing at the time uh, was to address the issue of COVID-19 and to make really important decisions because from 1st of March onwards, or 29th of February, things started to move really quickly. Like if you remember in that early stage, we had a scare in a school. The next day we had Google employees being sent home because they had flu-like symptoms. And things just started, we had a debate about the St. Patrick's Day festival. And then uh, on the 10th of March, we had Leo Varadkar on the steps of Blair House in Washington, announcing that childcare facilities, schools, crashes were closed. So basically what I'm saying is that Fine Gael went from a place where they were saying, we're defeated, we will come in as a last resort, but that's all. We're going to the opposition benches. And the parliamentary party did endorse that at the time to being in a position where they're the caretaker government have to make all these massive decisions. The public are looking to Fine Gael for a few things. They're looking for information, they're looking for action, they're looking for reassurance. And also they're looking for hope because it was a terrifying time. It still is to a certain extent. But back then, I'm sure you all remember, it was, it was a sense of, almost like a train coming down the tracks and you had no idea how to get out of its way. So they found themselves in this position and they kind of rolled with the punches to a certain degree. They got stuck in and I think they did well on the communication side and there were probably failings in, in, in other areas that were in the fullness of time, such as around nursing homes. And to get an idea of the, the public's reaction to the new role that Fine Gael played, you only have to look at our opinion poll uh, in mid-June, I think it was. And I think that had Fine Gael up at around... 37%. I think Leo Varadkar's personal approval rate was up something extraordinary, like 45 points, I think it was. And he had been fall down around 14%. It was extraordinary. It was a huge endorsement of Leo Varadkar. It was a huge endorsement of the work that Fine Gael had done. So at the time when that poll came out, I think that was actually the day that the parliamentary parties met to endorse the programme for government to say that they were okay to, to go ahead and, and to, go, to go ahead with this plan. And Fine Gael, so Michal Martin is obviously coming down to talk to reporters saying, here's, here's Taoiseach Michal Martin. And you have these incredible figures for, for Leo Varadkar. So this is the context in which they went into this arrangement. And, you know, if you look at the two last election that held them back or that they say would hold the albatross of health and housing, they've shed both those briefs. Fianna Fáil have both those briefs. What briefs do they have? They have Leo Varadkar has had his pick. He chose jobs and he chose enterprise. So clearly he wants to reinforce this idea of the party as jobs, 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 much like previous administrations, much like the Finnegan of the past that we know. Uh, we've got Simon Coveney in Brexit. They're clearly hoping to try and find some way through that to avoid hard Brexit and present themselves perhaps as the saviour of the economy. And then you have Helen McEntee in, in the role of justice and perhaps they have plans for reform and maybe reinforcing the Finnegan's party of law and order. So you can see where they've been, you can see what's happened, you can see what's changed. And you can see a bit of where they're going. So it's it's fascinating, their revival of fortunes. But as Pat mentioned earlier on, it's, it's politics. You don't know what's going to happen in two and a half days. You know, I have no idea. Um, we'll, see where, we'll see where it all goes. Pat, I am going to ask you a question about what's going to happen and not necessarily in two and a half years. Uh, now in a sec. But first, I just want to ask you, because some people have, have seen this moment of coalition, um, this historic moment of coalition between the two old, the two old parties, as the point at which the, the difference between them finally becomes totally irrelevant and I know people talk about culture and they talk about traditions and they talk about things like that and, and we know and you know that those things are there but the fact that they're in government now 
does that not finally break the hoodoo or the the kind of the the, hip, the hypnotic hold that the traditional binary Irish party political system had on the electorates nearly since the foundation of the state? I look at it slightly differently, Hugh. To be honest, I think that the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in government together now is a reflection of the facts on the ground that the civil war divide has become less uh, less important between these two parties and also that their market share has shrunk so very significantly over the last 25, 30 years that it is the logical thing for them uh, to do now. So I don't think that the fact of them going into government has delivered that. I think they have gone into government together because that has become the uh, the reality on the ground. I mean, you know, you can you can argue for or against this. I mean, one of the you, you know one of the reasons uh, I suppose that you know that Ireland's had this great continuity of government policy, which to people is a very bad thing, to others uh, gives the country stability, gives it uh, an attractiveness as a, um, as a venue or a target for, uh, for inward investment with all the economic benefits that, uh, that that brings. But we had for much of the period of the state quite a, you know, a rigid and stultified system because of the uh, because of the, the duopoly that these two parties uh, engage. We've lost Harry, but those things happen sometimes. We'll certainly, we'll, we'll try to get him back. Um, I want to move on to that very difficult question because we really don't know what's going to happen, Jen, as you said. Uh, this, we're in extraordinary times. Extraordinary times provide political opportunity, though, as well, don't they? Um, uh, you, you can couch this as being uh, the grim clouds of recession are coming towards us and one is doing one's best to ameliorate them. And certainly there are huge threats to large parts of the economy and to people's jobs. And there remain very serious and significant health threats as well. And we can see uh, we saw the government reacting today in terms of in terms of changing or adjusting its its timetable for relaxing. And we see worrying things happening around the world too. But in a way, that's what people get into politics for, isn't it? Is to take on the big challenges and to be there at the centre and to try and do the best for people. Yeah, of course, of course they do. And I think, you know, I would certainly always have been of the uh, persuasion that the majority of people who I know who've gone into politics and the, the TDs who I've met are, are in it for the, the right reasons. The majority of them are now. I'm sure some of them maybe get a bit egotistical along the way. It's natural when maybe you're a minister and everyone's deferring to you. But yeah, I do agree. It, it does it does present uh, an opportunity. I would think this is sort of Fianna Fáil's opportunity in particular because they have a lot to prove they, they obviously we know what happened in 2011. They've come back now into power and they have to prove that they are fiscally prudent, fiscally responsible, and they have to prove that they're up to the job of rebooting the economy and of putting that perhaps for party politics. And we're for not only a really rough couple of months, but probably a really rough couple of years. And, and some of the big political battles that are looming in the immediate term have the potential to be really, really, really sticky, really spiky. I think in particular of the pandemic unemployment payment and the government supports that are currently in place in light of the COVID-19 pandemic to support businesses and how they taper them off and while still supporting people who perhaps are, are unemployed because it is expected those unemployment levels will remain quite high for some time. So how do you do that, you know, in the face of what are sure to be intensive attacks from Sinn Féin um, and... That, that, is the, that is the battle that we face. But I would think Fianna Fáil in particular, because they have that job to do to rescue their reputation. They're in government now. They've, they've talked the talk for the last few years. They've been on the opposition benches. They've pointed out the flaws they think that they see in, in health and housing and uh, in, the, in the economy. So now it's up to them to show that they're up to it. You'd have to wonder that if they squander this opportunity, given where they were on the polls going into this arrangement, and the lack of public, I suppose, enthusiasm for... For the arrangement, I think our poll had a third of people wanting another election and a third of people wanting another arrangement. Uh, so it's their opportunity. Uh, it's their opportunity to waste, I would, I would think. And you know, for Fine Gael, their task obviously will be to climb up from the point where they were at the last election, having lost a shed load of TDs basically, and get themselves back into a position whereby they can legitimately say 
that they could lead a majority government. But I think the, the way politics has fragmented and fractured over the last few years, it's hard to actually see a scenario whereby any party the next time around could command an overwhelming majority. Although if you were to go by the current trends and the trends that we saw in the local uh, after the local elections in the general election, the by-elections by general election, you would have to maybe think that uh, Sinn Féin would be, would be in with it, especially given the opportunity they have to, to become, as Mary Lou MacDonald said, one of the strongest and most determined oppositions in the history of the state. Yeah, and actually I want to ask about Sinn Féin in a minute, but I, I actually want to go to some questions now which have come in on hashtag IT Summer Nights. And Steve asks, and this touches on something that, 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 that Jen mentioned uh, earlier on, um, are Fine Gael and Leo Varadkar in an enviable position at the moment by allowing Fianna Fáil take on the difficult ministerial briefs at the most challenging time? Meanwhile, they wait opportunistic, opportunistically in the wings for December 2022. And I'd add to that that, um, um, that if we are going to... Um, sorry, I thought I'd lost you there for a sec, but no, you're there loud and clear. That's, um, Fianna Fáil have taken on, yes, their housing and health are the two most important ones for them to make a mark, but they're also in Irish politics tells us, potentially the most toxic ones too. Yeah, and also in education and in public expenditure. So um, I think Fianna Fáil are in ministries that people will be very quickly able to see whether or not they're making a fist of them, whether or not they're delivering on their promises. So the first one up in education will be, are the schools reopening in anything like a normal sort of fashion in September. Now, uh, you know, if if they are, the plan has been well hidden. So immediately this government, assuming it staggers to the summer recess uh, next week intact, it will, uh, uh, you know, when it, when it comes back or before it comes back, it'll have a test uh, in that regard. That's a Fianna Fáil minister. And um, there's a public sector pay rise due in uh, in October, and a budget to put together. Again, a Fianna Fáil minister in public expenditure, health and housing, ministries or departments that have been, uh, you know, that caused, as Jen observed, Fianna Gael, the most horrendous political problems in uh, in the last government have been taken by Fianna Fáil ministers, and we know very quickly whether there is, um, whether they're making progress in those. So while Fianna Fáil, I think the Fianna Fáil political strategy um, is for Fianna Fáil ministers to make a visible difference in government, for them to be able to go to voters in uh, uh, at the next election and say, we made a difference. But that's a very, that's a very visible strategy in a way. Because if Fianna Fáil ministers have not made a difference, if Fianna Fáil in government has been beset with all the problems of making tangible progress that have afflicted their predecessors and afflicted Fianna Fáil ministers in the past when they were in those departments, then I think that will be very visible too. In effect, Paul Martin has bet the farm on health and housing. And we will know, I think, pretty quickly whether or not that is uh, going to pay dividends. But the question about that is, History tells us that things in those departments don't happen pretty quickly, do they? I think some things can ha can happen in health pretty quickly. Other things uh, in, in housing, we'd have to say, well, of course, it takes a long time uh, for houses to be built. And in a construction industry, which is now working at, as we've seen in the children's hospital, working at something probably below half pace, you'd have to wonder how that is going to on the targets of social housing and so forth to, to be delivered. So I agree with you. Yeah, I think there are, I think that the, pan, uh, the pandemic, aside altogether for, from, its, uh, from its economic impacts, because I don't think they will be felt in terms of the public finances and available budgets for spending this year anyway, possibly not next year. Felt they will be at some stage in the future. But I think the capacity of the state to power vast this year and next year will cushion the blow on uh, on spending budgets, particularly in those uh, in those departments. Um, but uh, but you're you're entirely right as to I think the perils uh, the perils of those departments for Fianna Fáil. 
on an entirely different note, and welcome back there, Harry. We lost you for a minute. We have a few couple of questions in, sort of linked from um, from viewers. Tom asks, would Leo Varadkar pack it in as leader of Fine Gael for an influential position in the EU, the UN, or the WHO, and would Fine Gael survive if he did so? And then Catherine says, is Helen McEntee the unsung hero of Brexit and potentially the next Fine Gael leader? She's been completely underrated during the last administration, says Catherine, who's obviously a big Helen McEntee fan. Yeah, that's uh, I think in a better position to judge Helen McEntee's uh, leadership uh, credentials at this moment in time uh, than I am. Well, Leo Varadkar has said that he wants to retire from politics by the time he reaches the, age, the, the ripe old age of 50. Um, and he hasn't um, resiled from that statement as yet. But I think he has liked being Taoiseach. And I think he wants to be Taoiseach again. And of course, he will be Taoiseach again. All things being equal in about two and a half years' time. So um, I, I think that once people are in power and they, they are comfortable in power, uh, perhaps like Bertie was uh, and like other uh, leaders were in the past, that they're very reluctant uh, to, to uh, forego that uh, for something else. So my own best guess at the moment is I think that Leo Varadkar is going to be a bit of a stare in terms of domestic politics. I think Helen McEntee did um, very well as uh, Minister, Minister of State for European Affairs. Um, I think she um, grew into the role, and I think she's she's quiet. She's not very she's not overly uh, assertive in terms of her public presentation, but apparently she became uh, increasingly assertive in terms of her ability as a negotiator and as a person who had command of detail and more importantly a grasp or understanding of detail uh, during the Brexit uh, negotiations. And she proved herself uh, to be a very solid performer and a safe pair of hands. And proof of the pudding on that is that Taoiseach uh, Leo Varadkar, uh, or sorry, that the Taunishta, the new uh, uh, the new and the leader of Finnegal, elevated her uh, to the position as Minister for Justice, which is a very senior role, one of the more senior roles in the Finnegal administration. And that probably is his recognition uh, of of uh, the role that she performed as uh, Minister of State. But you know, at this moment in time, I don't think that Leo Bradker is in any particular hurry to go anywhere, Hugh, uh, to, uh, to answer your question. Okay, taking that on board. Jennifer, here's an easy question from John. Who, in your opinion, will be the next leaders of each of the three big political parties? Um, there's actually, well, three, there's three government parties, but there's three big parties, which is rather a different question. Let's go for the three big parties, given that we know that Catherine Martin is very well set, according to Harry, to be the next leader of the Green Party. So who are the next three leaders of Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael? Well, you say that that's an easy question. <laughs> it's not, because any time I make any kind of uh, uh, prediction, it's always wrong. And then someone says, hey, you said that thing in the podcast and you were wrong again. You know, why are you... Go for it, Jen. We won't mention it, honestly. Sure, okay. I'll take it. We're not recording this. It's... Okay. <laughs> um, well, okay, right. So the three big parties... No, let's take Sinn Féin. I think it would take a political hurricane to unseat Mary Lou Macdonald. I don't think she's going anywhere. She's in it to stay in it. And it would take something absolutely massive, which, of course, is possible. So I think we're, we're talking Mary Lou Macdonald for the foreseeable future. I suppose if you're talking Fine Gael, um, I do think that Leo Varadkar probably has ambitions on a, a job, perhaps either in the EU or somewhere, yeah, somewhere in Europe or maybe in, in, in the corporate world. And I think maybe if we learned anything about him from the leadership contest, it's that he's strategic and he is, and he thinks these things through. And I think he has thought a plan through already. I think he's already put that in motion in certain, in certain aspects. So I would think my bets would be Simon Coveney for Fine Gael. Uh, I do think Helen McEntee will emerge as a credible contender if that's what she wants, um, depending on what happens in justice, which, as we know, is, is a, a fabled department uh, where many, many, many problems arise. And I think then in terms of Fianna Fáil, that's a really tricky one. The contender, the only contender, the obvious one we have now who's put himself forward is Jim O'Callaghan, but my bet would be on Derek Leary. Okay. Um, Prepare for all of that to go terribly wrong. And I want to follow up with a question, actually. Um, it's sort of related but different. We've never had a woman Taoiseach. Um, the person who's best set to be the first woman Taoiseach at the moment is Mary Lou Macdonald. She, this is a key moment for Sinn Féin, clearly the largest opposition party, clearly the alternative leader of government. 
Um, what way are they going to play it over the next while? And what are the chances of having a Sinn Féin-led government after the next election, Pat? Well, I think the chances are reasonably good. Not re-entering all my caveats about the inherent unpredictability of politics uh, at, uh, at the moment. And we've seen that with the Sinn Féin vote as well. You know, I mean, there's a reason that Sinn Féin isn't the largest party in the Dáil at the moment, despite having got the largest share of votes. It's because the party thought it was in for a very difficult election. And right up to uh, a couple of weeks before polling was taking candidates off uh, off its tickets in order, order to protect seats rather than ambitiously looking to uh, to gain the sort of seats that it would have gained if it had known it was going to produce such a, a spectacular result. So um, Sinn Féin has garnered an awful lot of new votes, votes from new supporters. Its first job, I suppose, is to, uh, is to hold on to those. But I don't think you can underestimate the extent to which being the chief opposition party, the leader of the opposition, gives the party an, a platform to project itself as, uh, as a government in waiting. And I think that's what it will try and do with the, um, uh, uh, in, in its opposition to Fianna Fáil and uh, Fianna Gael and the Greens over the, over, over the coming years. If it is to do that, as a final point, if it is to do that effectively, then I think it will have to cooperate with the other parties on the left and lead not just a putative future government, but to lead all the parties of the left to offer a different sort of government. And that's it for this edition. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and to all the people who helped put the Summer Nights Festival together, in particular, Roisin Ingle. We hope you enjoyed it and that we can do something similar again in the future. And if you do want to get in touch with the podcast, we'd be delighted to hear from you as always. Just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.